You're listening to the Complete Concussion Management Podcast with Dr. Cameron Marshall. Ask Concussion Doc is a show where we answer your questions about concussions, treatment, and rehabilitation to help practitioners better manage these injuries. Enjoy the show. This episode is brought to you by the Complete Concussion Management Clinical Network. Are you suffering from a concussion? Concussion symptoms that just aren't getting better? Maybe you're in the wrong place. Maybe you're seeing the wrong healthcare professional. Visit completeconcussions.com slash find dash a dash clinic to find all of the local professionally trained concussion clinicians in your area. Each of our partnered clinics have gone through extensive training on concussion assessment, diagnosis, treatment, and rehabilitation, and will be able to quickly determine the root cause of your symptoms and work with you to develop a plan to get rid of them. If you don't know what's driving your symptoms, you can't ever hope to relieve them. Completeconcussions.com slash find a clinic. They have a 98% patient satisfaction rating and the net promoter score as judged by real patients is higher than Amazon, Netflix, and Apple. Completeconcussions.com slash find dash a dash clinic. You won't regret it. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Ask Concussion Doc, episode number 70. 70. That's crazy. Uh, this episode is on finding the right concussion provider. Um, or you can also think about it, how to know if your provider is the right provider. Um, we get this question so many times from people all over the place on Instagram. They email us looking for a clinic in their area or looking for help in finding a clinic. So we wanted to try and provide a bit of a checklist for you in terms of finding the right concussion care provider. Cause I know that getting on the internet and searching through Google and trying to figure out what's why you end up in this huge rabbit hole, uh, and of just misinformation and absolute confusion. So I'm gonna try my best to lay it all out for you today and kind of give you a bit of a checklist that you can go through to try and, I guess, rule in or rule out the best person for you. So I've done it kind of in a pros, cons type of way. Uh, so I'm gonna start first with the cons, things you should probably be trying to avoid. I'm also going to um, then get into the pros and things that are more on a positive note and things to look for that are actually being done. Okay. <laughs> uh, so con number one, do they tell you to rest constantly? I think I've beaten this one to death in previous podcasts, but healthcare professionals that keep encouraging you to rest or tell you that you know, you're doing too much and things like that and try to pull you back from things generally are um, not as kind of up to date with the new trends in the concussion research space would tend to be promoting a little bit more of the activity base uh, and acknowledging symptoms, but not necessarily avoiding the onset of symptoms altogether. So I think rest has been beaten to death in previous episodes. If you want to learn more about rest, I mean, you can go back, start at the beginning of this podcast and probably hear a whole bunch more information about the research on uh, prolonged rest being actu actually detrimental for you and actually delaying your recovery. So I'm not going to get into that one too much, but if your healthcare provider keeps promoting rest, they're probably not as up to date as they likely should be. 
Uh, secondly, do they tell you to avoid symptoms? This kind of goes with the rest side of things, but symptom provocation in a gradual fashion is actually the key to concussion recovery. In fact, and I'm going to share with you uh, some recent uh, recent study anyway that I pulled up, um, where they actually use avoiding symptoms as being the sham treatment. So studies where uh, they're doing you know all sorts of vestibular and visual rehab and neck rehab and things like that, they generally will push you into symptoms and try to progress you further and further and further. Try to provoke things and then push it a little bit beyond that. And that's actually how you grow and how you get better, right? Um, I said in a recent podcast that you don't get the strength gains from reps one to five, you get the gains from reps six to 10 when you're really starting to struggle and really starting to have that, you know, that pain, that, that, that struggle to get it up. That's really when things are uh, improving for you. And what they've done now in studies to compare these treatments is when they compare these various treatment options, what they'll do is have a treatment group that's actually getting pushed into symptoms, symptom provocation. Because if you're not having symptom provocation, your rehab really isn't doing much for you. You want to have that symptom provocation. And we actually use symptom provocation as a guide of when to progress somebody. We give them a certain rehab strategy and they do that. And once they start, um, being able to do it with very minimal increase in symptoms, that's our signal to push them a little bit harder. So now we increase what they do. And then they do that, and that's challenging for the first little bit. And then after they do it a bit, then they're able to do it no problem. Then boom, we push them again. So if you're not having symptoms with your rehab, you're not doing anything for yourself. So symptom provocation is actually key to concussion recovery. But we've been misled to believe that symptom provocation is bad for us or somehow harmful for us, but it's, that's not actually the case. That's where the growth is. So here's a study by Reniker in 2017. They did a randomized control trial, meaning they split a group in half and half the people got a certain type of treatment, half of people got the other type of treatment. These are patients with dizziness. Um, there was 41 concussed patients experiencing symptoms beyond 10 days. So they're a bit more into the delayed symptom, uh, group group one was the treatment group and they got manual therapy of the neck. So neck treatments, they got vestibular rehab. So for their balance mechanisms, ocular motor rehab and neuromotor retraining. They then had group number two, which was what they called the subtherapeutic group. So these groups got similar treatments but they weren't pushed into their symptoms. As soon as their symptoms started, they were told to stop. And that's what a lot of our healthcare professionals are telling our patients is as soon as you have an onset of symptoms, that's bad, you stop. Okay, but in the treatment group, once you had symptoms, you pushed into that a little bit harder to get that gain, okay? So group one, group two. Group two is the subtherapeutic group. All subjects in the study were seen two times a week for eight visits or until they were cleared to return to play. Here's the difference. The treatment group, the group that was actually getting pushed into their symptoms, had a symptom resolution two times faster than the group that was told to stop at the first onset of symptoms, and they were cleared to return to sport almost three times faster, 2.9 times faster than the group that was given the sham treatment, which was stopping symptom as soon as symptoms came on. So if your healthcare provider is telling you that at the first onset of symptoms, you're to stop activity, that is likely the wrong healthcare provider because they're not up to date with the research. Okay.
Uh, do they tell you to take time off work? This is kind of getting back to the idea of rest again. Having a few days off is potentially okay and potentially um, not a bad thing, but extended amounts of time off work, which a lot of times emergency room physicians will just tell you to take two weeks off right away without really having any type of um, you know, reasoning behind it. If you can go to work, you should be going to work because the more time you take off, that's going to be detrimental for you. Just because you have symptoms, again, is not an indication that you should be taking time off work necessarily. It means that you should be doing some sort of rehab or treatment to try and reduce those symptoms, but you should still be trying to keep some semblance of a normal life to be able to continue on that because as you pull back, it just gets harder and harder to get back into it. So somebody that just tells you and gives you extended time off work doesn't really understand this concept and is likely going to lead to you know disability in the long term. So anyone who's trying to tell you to take time off, uh, like I said, for any more than a day or two is actually detrimental for you, okay? Um, number four, do they market some sort of fancy machine? Concussion rehab, there's no evidence when it comes to any type of laser therapy or any of this other stuff. There's no evidence on any of these fancy machines. So if somebody wants to hook you up to all these different machines and things like that for your treatment, there's really no evidence to support any of it. So that's kind of a red flag right there. If they're bringing you in and they got these things hooked up to your neck and they're trying laser things and all this weird stuff, there's no evidence to support any of those types of treatments. The treatment requires more active things. We all want to sit back and get the passive treatment, give us the pill that'll make it better, but that's not how this works. It requires work. You have to do things. And if you're not doing things, you're in the wrong spot. Number five, do they market some sort of fancy imaging, right? Uh, some clinics will say, oh, we'll give you all these different brain scans and things like that because that'll tell us exactly what's going on. We'll be able to see inside your brain and we'll do diffusion tensor imaging and fMRIs and spec scans and all this other stuff. It sounds good, right? It sounds like it's a reasonable thing to do. The problem is all of these tools are simply research tools. We don't really understand them well enough to be able to make any type of diagnostic decision or clinical recommendation based on the findings. Furthermore, the findings of these imaging studies are very non-specific. This means that just because you see something on a spec scan or on a diffusion tensor scan or on an fMRI doesn't mean that that is a result of concussion. Other things, other conditions like depression, like anxiety, like low back pain, like chronic neck pain, like a whole bunch of different things can cause very similar findings as concussion on these imaging. So if you're sitting there with chronic symptoms and you're looking at going to a clinic and they're saying, we're going to do all these different brain scans for you. And you're like, yes, finally, someone's going to tell me what's wrong with my brain. They might find something on the imaging, but it doesn't mean anything. They literally cannot draw any conclusions from that. They'll say, oh, your right temporal lobe has decreased blood flow. And then your it, it doesn't really mean anything clinically. You can't treat it and you don't even know what the cause is. Of course, you're going to attribute it to a concussion, but that could be because you're depressed. That could be because you have anxiety. That could be because you have low back pain, neck pain, 
upper back pain, pain anywhere in your body is going to affect some of these scan results. So don't think that because you're going to a clinic where they're doing all these scans that they're going to know or provide you any insight that you don't, you won't be able to get anywhere else. Okay. Um, I, I, I lettered these. So what's F six, <laughs> six, is it super expensive? I don't know how many patients I've had that have gone down to different states in the US and have spent $10,000 for a week of intensive therapy and they've, you know, gone to the poor house trying to afford this thing. There's a few things, right? Concussion is not it does not require fancy anything. You don't need to spend $10,000 for concussion rehab. Secondly, a week is not enough time, no matter what. So you could spend a million dollars and go down for a week of therapy and guess what? It probably won't work for you in the long term right? You might have some short-term gains, some maybe some placebo-based gains because you're going to this thing and you're spending a lot of money. People want to believe that if you're spending a lot of money, you're likely to recover, right? It's expensive. It must be good. But in fact, most of that is probably generated by the placebo effect of the fact that you've spent money and you think that it's going to be good and you're very hopeful for it. So you'll probably see some short-term gain. But in the long term, one week is not going to do anything. Again, we're talking, you're relying on passive. You want somebody to get you better, but nobody's going to get you better. Only you can get you better. So a week is not enough. And $10,000 or more is just not feasible. Usually when, I, when people fly in to see me, I have them here for at least six to 10 weeks because you can't do anything in any less time. It takes time to do things. People got to put in work. You got to be progressing them through rehab. You got to be pushing them a little bit. You got to be reassessing, reevaluating. You can't have anything done in a week. So don't spend a ton of money to go to a fancy place thinking that that's going to be the answer to your problems because it likely won't. The amount of patients I've had that have gone through these programs and have eventually just come to see me uh, because they're not, they didn't get any benefit is actually tremendous. It's not, it's not a small amount. So keep that in mind. It should never be expensive and a week is not enough. Um, seven, <laughs> should have numbered these. Uh, do they go right to medications? That's the other thing. There's no good evidence to suggest that medications are effective for the treatment of concussion symptoms or the, or the underlying etiology of concussion, the causes of concussion. A lot of times, patients will come in on all sorts of different medications for various things because of their concussion injury. And there's no scientific evidence to show that any of those are effective at all. And in fact, people are discouraged oftentimes in consensus statements and things like that from relying on medications because they don't work. And not only that, there's side effects that go with it that can lead to very similar symptoms as concussion. I've had so many patients that come in complaining of dizziness and the medication they're taking. If you read the side effect profile, one of the side effects is dizziness. So how do we know that the dizziness is because of ongoing concussion symptoms or how do we know it's not due to the medications they're taking, which probably aren't helping the issue that they're taking them for anyway. So there's some instances where medications can be helpful, particularly when it comes to the mental health side of things, because that's a huge barrier to recovery for many people, depression, anxiety, that type of thing. And oftentimes to get over that hump, medication may be required. So things like that are okay. But if the first line of defense is 
I'm going to go right to my prescription pad. You'd want to be careful on that. I have patients that will get referred to a neurologist because their GP sends them there. And the first thing they do is try to hand them all sorts of migraine medications when they may not even have migraine type headaches. So just be a little bit cautious on that. Number eight, if they don't have any clear plan of attack or they're not really clear on what the plan will be or they haven't really laid it out and saying, this is why your symptoms may be there. We're going to check this. We're going to check this. We're going to check this. And then here's the strategy moving forward. If they can't really articulate that, then you're likely in the wrong spot, right? They should be able to clearly answer questions, clearly tell you this is the game plan and this is why we're doing it. There should be a reason behind what's happening and they should be able to easily articulate that. The last one here on the con side of things is are they willing to admit that they don't know something? I find that a lot of healthcare professionals, if they don't know anything or they don't have a level of expertise, which is kind of counterintuitive, but they, if they don't have a level of expertise, they tend to bullshit their way through things. They tend to give you answers, even if they don't really have the answers, but they'll somehow make sense of it. And it kind of, you're, you're sitting there probably listening going, okay, this person doesn't really know what they're talking about, but they're going to try and spit it to you anyway. People that really know the space will say, well, actually we don't really know. So be willing to accept the answer of, we don't really know, or I don't really know, or there's a couple studies that show this and a couple studies that show that, but so we're kind of you know up in the air as to whether or not that's the right answer. So be wary of, of the person who tries to kind of work their way through the answers and try to be able to, you know, your gut will tell you whether or not this person's actually answering these questions legitimately or not. Um, now to the pro side of things. So things that you should be looking for in the clinic that you're going to, Number one, have they done a Buffalo concussion treadmill test on you? And are they encouraging you to exercise and become more active? Always, always, always at any complete concussion management clinic anyway, exercise and putting you on the treadmill is usually our first step in with anyone with persistent symptoms. There is a load of evidence on utilizing this test to help figure out autonomic dysregulation issues, blood flow impairments, and then using the results of that test to provide you with a sub-symptom threshold exercise protocol and that exercise protocol being very effective for lowering and reducing concussion symptoms. If you're going to somewhere and they haven't put you on a treadmill yet and they haven't progressed you through your exercises, you're probably in the wrong place because it just shows that there's so much evidence out there and if they're not doing it, they're probably not keeping up with the scientific evidence and how things are emerging. Number two on the pros, do they encourage rehab? Like I said, medication and pills are generally not effective. The treatment for concussion is rehab. Do they provide rehab themselves or do they have in their clinic or do they refer you to rehab early on in your recovery? Rehab is essentially now the cornerstone of concussion treatment. It's vision rehab, it's vestibular rehab, it's exercise, it's treatment of the neck. Those are the things that are effective for a lot of the post-concussion symptoms. And if they're not doing that as part of your clinical management, you're missing out on generally the cornerstone of concussion treatment. Number three on the pros, do they have any training? So 
Do they or do they specialize in this area? Concussion is not covered in healthcare curriculums. At least it wasn't up until even just a few years ago. There was a study in Canada in 2012 that showed that the majority of Canadian medical schools did not have concussion on the curriculum at all. Those that did, the average amount of time spent on concussion was less than half an hour of your entire four years of medical school. That's not enough to know the nuances of somebody who's got a complex post-concussion syndrome picture. Um, secondly, because of that, what and it's not just it's not just on the medical side of things. It's also in PT programs, chiro programs, other healthcare programs, not covered in the majority of, of healthcare curriculum. So in order to be in this space, you've had to do additional training. And then what type of training has that been? Or is the person involved in researching concussion, right? They may not have had any specific training on concussion, but they're a researcher in the space. They've published articles in the space and they're keeping up to date with the research in the space. That's one element. Or they've taken additional training and courses and received certification in concussion specifically. And just a note on that, I wouldn't just rely on credentials. Just because somebody is a, a, a doctor doesn't mean that they know anything about concussion. Um, and just as an example of this, there was a study that was done. Uh, this is again in Canada. Canada has done a lot of the work on this, looking at, at the gaps in knowledge. And you look at emergency room physicians versus sports medicine physicians. Emergency room physicians, 40% of emergency room physicians surveyed did not even know that there was any type of consensus statement or guideline for the management of concussions. And this was 16 years after the first guidelines had been published. So there, by this point, when this was published, there was four iterations of the International Concussion Consensus Statement, yet 41% of emergency room doctors didn't even know that there was any type of guidelines or consensus statements on concussion. But in contrast to that, there was only 3% of sports medicine physicians who didn't know that. So you can tell just because somebody is a doctor doesn't mean that they know concussion. You're more likely in the sports medicine realm to find somebody who's learned more about concussion or has taken additional training or has more specialization in it than you are with eMERGE. Secondly, don't just rely on MD because there's a lot of PTs, a lot of DCs, a lot of ATs that know a lot more about concussion than, than a lot of medical doctors. So don't just rely on credentials. Rely on more experience and additional training and specialization in the area, right? Are they treating a lot of concussion patients? Do they see a lot of these people? Because it's a lot different, right? Just because they're a neurologist doesn't mean that they have any type of knowledge when it comes to concussion. Because to be honest, a lot of times concussion is, is kind of below the neurological realm because concussion doesn't present with overt neurological findings in, in many cases particularly in the chronic setting. So they're going to do a neurological exam on you. And if it's normal, that's pretty much where that, that ends. So they're good for ruling out, you know, more sinister things and making sure you don't have anything worse going on. But when it comes to then treating those particular symptoms, generally the treatment's going to be a lot of rehab, a lot of education, things like that. So just because they're a neurologist doesn't mean you're in the right place. Um, and that goes for all sorts of different professions as well, just because they're a vestibular PT. A lot of times people go to vestibular PT because that's where they get referred. But concussion is not necessarily vestibular. And there was a critical appraisal done, so this is a type of uh, research review done, on vestibular rehabilitation. And this was by Booth, and it was in 2019, so it's very recent. And what they found 
in scouring the research is that if you took all the patients with dizziness following concussions, so these are patients that have a concussion and then also have dizziness associated with that concussion. If you took all those patients and you treated them, you would have to treat between two and four patients just to see results in one. These are patients all with dizziness and they're getting vestibular rehab. You would have, basically, your success rate with vestibular therapy is only going to be between a quarter and 50%. So that means between half and three quarters of your patients are not going to get better with vestibular rehab alone. So if you're a patient right now and you're going to vestibular PT because that's where you were referred to and you're still not getting better, it's because something is likely being missed. There's other causes of dizziness that go along with concussion. And a lot of times we think dizziness, we think vestibular, but that's not the case. It could be an ocular motor problem. It could be a neck issue. It could be a blood flow issue, autonomic nervous system. It could be a bunch of different things, but oftentimes, including healthcare professionals, right? A lot of times doctors will think vestibular, they'll think, they'll think vestibular PT. And a lot of vestibular PTs will think, well, because I know vestibular, I know concussion but vestibular does not equal concussion. So we have to make that distinction. Concussion is unique, so the training should be kind of concussion related, right? Just because you have a training in neuro PT, it's different when you're rehabbing a stroke versus when you're rehabbing a concussion patient or a spinal cord injury versus a concussion patient. Concussion is kind of a unique subset, so you have to know about concussion specifically. Um, word of mouth, so this is another pro. Are there reviews? Do you know people that have gone there personally? That tells you a lot of stuff. Just because they have a fancy website and they market fancy tools and they do fancy imaging and all that stuff, are people actually getting better when they go there? Are they seeing positive results? Keep in mind that everyone's different, right? What your symptom profile might be is different from somebody else's and what might have worked for somebody else may not work for you. I've had patients personally that have gone to people that have, you know, they'll say, oh yeah, I had my neck treated, I did vestibular, I did visual, and then they come see me and I'll find issues going on still with their neck. And then if I treat their neck versus somebody else, I'll have a positive result, whereas that person maybe not have. So just because you've tried a particular type of treatment, let's be it even vestibular or ocular motor or neck or exercise, but if it wasn't done in the right way or they missed something on you, doesn't mean you should completely rule that out as a possibility. And I feel a lot of people do that because I will get Instagram DMs from people that'll say, yeah, I've already done, you know, next stuff. Okay, well, what type of next stuff? And I, I don't know without touching you, you know, whether or not that the right spots were hit or what else. Okay. So just because you've tried something doesn't mean it's not going to be effective at a different clinic or with somebody else. But also look for reviews, look for people that have gone there. Word of mouth is huge. Are they evidence-based? So this is pro number five, I think, <laughs> four maybe. Um, are they evidence-based? This is sometimes tough to figure out. You're not gonna really know what type of research this person does or if they read any or they keep up to date with it. But do they talk about studies? Do they talk about research? Do they talk about, yeah, there was a study published just this past week about this or that? Because that'll give you some indication that they're actually reading and keeping up with it. And if they're not, giving you that type of information or those types of answers. Have there been any studies done on this or any studies done on that? They're probably not reading them. And if they're not reading them, well, how are they going to be keeping up with the research if they're not actually reading the research? So 
just an example of this at complete concussion management clinics, we make our practitioners go through it's a, it's a like eight to nine week training course. And then when they've done that, we monthly research updates go out to them on every single month. So our research team reads all the research every single week. We synthesize it, disseminate it, break it down, and then we send it out to all of our clinics so that they get all of that information every single month to keep up with how things are changing and evolving because there's over 100 studies published every single month in this space. And if you're not keeping up with it, you're going to get left behind very quickly. So find somebody who's evidence-based as hard as that is to do. So again, just to kind of recap, the big things for treatment are exercise, rehab, education reassurance, evidence-based, um, you know, avoiding things like rest, inactivity, reduction of, you know, anything symptom provocation, um, you know, not going straight to medications and simply kind of pushing you into symptoms a little bit, encouraging you to get back into activities, back into life, encouraging exercise, and then rehabilitation is essentially the cornerstone for concussion treatment. Um, why is exercise sub-symptom when you talk about pushing through symptoms? Mm. That's a really good question. Okay, so why is exercise sub-symptom when we talk about pushing through symptoms? It's a really good question. Um, the, how do I answer this? The, um, if, if you're exercising every day and you're pushing in through symptoms and going over symptoms, I don't actually believe that would be detrimental to you. However, the evidence that has been done in this space, and this may change over time. So because right now I'm saying that you should be sub-symptom threshold, doesn't mean that that might not change. I actually believe that as long as you're, um, as long as you're not going too far into that, then you probably will be okay. What we typically do with the treadmill test is we try to find out where your threshold is and then we pull you back slightly from that and then we have you exercise like that for one to two weeks and then we bring you back in and usually you can get to a new threshold before symptom provocation and then we pull you back from that. That I think is simply, the best thing about that I think is simply because you're not going to feel like crap every day. And oftentimes when patients feel like crap, you tell them to do something and their symptoms go, flare up, they might start now avoiding that activity because of the, the discomfort on it. I actually think that having a little bit of symptom provocation with exercise is probably going to be okay, but I, I can't prove that. And most of the evidence that's been done on this uh, has shown effectiveness with sub-symptom threshold exercise. So as of right now, the recommendation is still to do sub-symptom threshold, but as research evolves in this space, we may find out that it really doesn't matter. But just for right now, stick with that just because that's where the scientific evidence is. Whoa, wait, 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 wait. Just one more thing before you go. This episode is brought to you by the Complete Concussion Management Clinical Network. Are you suffering from concussion symptoms that just aren't getting better? Maybe you're in the wrong place. Maybe you're seeing the wrong healthcare professional. Visit completeconcussion.com slash find-a-clinic to find all the local professionally trained concussion rehab individuals in your area. Each of our partnered clinics have gone through extensive training on concussion assessment, management, diagnosis, treatment, and rehabilitation. Uh, they're gonna work with you 
to try and find the root cause of your symptoms and then develop a treatment plan and approach to help get rid of them. If you don't know what's driving the symptoms, you can't ever help or hope to fix them. Completeconcussions.com slash find a clinic. They have a 98% patient satisfaction rating and have a higher net promoter score than Amazon, Apple, and Netflix. Completeconcussions.com slash find a clinic. You will not regret it. Thank you for listening to the Complete Concussion Management Podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe and let us know by leaving a review. Have questions about concussion management for future episodes? Submit them to our website, Facebook, or even Instagram. See you next time.